Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Guinness World Record holding Fondazi Fire. That's right, everybody. This is the Fondazi Fire podcast, and this is the show where we ask the question, what do you want? Now, normally the answer would be more fire, but today, today the answer is more zilch. That's right. (laughs) I am your host, Adam the Rombaro Soko. And with me, as always, is my lovely and beautiful wife, Katie, Mighty Mouse Matryoshka. Hello. And as always, our wonderful, beautiful, and amazing producer, Teresa Meese. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and joining us today for another episode of the Legends Podcast is Zilch the Tory Steller. Welcome. Thank you. Well, welcome. Hello. Hello. Broadcasting. Yeah, <laughs> coming to you live almost from Waxahachie, Texas. The beauty of Zoom and podcasts. Yeah, we could do this from a, uh, it's 1,111 miles away from from my home in Minneapolis. So That is a long way. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it can be done. Do you drive I do this down all there? The time. Yes, I did. I, I did and I do and I will be driving back too. Um, wow. And uh, I know you guys can see me, but the people on your podcast probably can't. But I'm surrounded by my uh, home on wheels nice. um, right now. Uh, a trailer that goes with me when I go off on the road. Terry, we invited you on because we, we've been doing a series of what we call legend podcasts. We like to get the uh, take of people that have been performing out at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival for more than a couple of years. And that's why we wanted to get you on and interview you. <laughs> Cause I hear you've been there do you for a know little how, while. Do you know how many years? How many years you, you've been there? I figured it was north of, I, or it was near 40. It's 46. Wow. 46. I started out there in 1975 as a hawker for an archery game uh, that was run by an executive for Green Belt Beer. Oh. Really? Did you have a character when you were hawking? Uh, no, <laughs> just, uh, um, I, I had a blue costume and a sword <laughs> and, uh, and could talk of it. And since, well, you know, I, I always been pretty good at doing, uh, fakey accents. So indeed I did. Prithin <laughs> uncle would spell care to take bow and arrow and pit my skills against my comrades. <laughs> I, I did one season doing that and then Lockin talked me be, into uh, being a sheriff's man okay. with the idea that we would help run the armory and then have plenty of time off to go do other things including go out and tell stories on the lanes and uh, in that group um uh, of, of, of sheriff's men was Mike Kosky, whom you might know, uh, Wayne Wallstead, fellow named Ron Olson, Todd Zolsdorf. Um, Todd Zolsdorf, you can find on the internet 
for his website, Ask Father Z, because he's now a Catholic priest with a website, and he answers uh, Catholic priest questions. Um, Wayne Wallstead is the guy responsible for all of the puke and snot art. <laughs> so any of their T-shirts or uh, posters, uh, Wayne has drawn them for the last mm, 35, 40 years. Wow. Um, Mike Kosky, uh, Mike and Wayne uh, uh, teamed up and were Nip and Tuck, the King's servants. They also worked with FUD when FUD was the feast master at, uh, at Bad Manor, when they built the new Bad Manor, or the current <laughs> Bad Manor. And it's not so new anymore. Fantasy in there. No, no. The now, let's see, what year, 1984, 86? Somewhere in that era. Po designed and built by Paul Satterud, um, who is now a Lutheran minister. So we got Catholics and Lutherans. Um, Do we got any rabbis? The sectarian there? strife right there. And the in a bad manner. Paul was a friend of, of Lee Walker's and was getting a, an MFA at the University of Minnesota at the time. Lee had gotten his MFA and was the new artistic director as of 1981, I think. 81, 82 is when Lee, Lee took over from Jeff Siegel. Jeff Siegel, who now owns the Carolina and Arizona Renaissance Festival. <laughs> so what is your uh, your current festivals that Cricket? you do? Yes, thank you. That's I, the word. I'm sorry. Um, it's late at night. My brain is right. kind of... <laughs> late. It's seven o'clock. All right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, I start usually start the year except for these troubled plague times. My first show would have been Arizona, but they did not open this year, and that's in February and March. Um, next comes Scarborough Fair, Scarborough Renaissance Festival. Excuse me, they officially changed their name a few years back. Scarborough Renaissance Festival, and that's April and May. Uh, this little Sioux Falls Renaissance Festival for one weekend in June. Uh, now I will go off to Colorado uh, uh, for their opening in July and going into August. I will then show up in Minnesota. Um, and then from Minnesota, I go to the Carolina show, which is uh, October, November. And it's between That's 40 really and 41 year. weeks a year. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, other other duties as assigned. <laughs> so, and it uh, all started uh, in Minnesota, or at least I all started in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. And I was actually kind of curious how it all started. You said you started over at the archery, but like what brought you? I started, out to I started at an archery booth and then went off, went over to work with Lockin at the armory while going out and doing little pickup shows in the streets, totally without permission. <laughs> and then, um, uh, in 77, uh, the festival itself, well, the festival had hired me when I was working with Lockin too, uh, you know, so one of those, here's your group, but I got an individual contract as a street entertainer for five bucks a day or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, remember though, that minimum wage at that time was a dollar 64 an hour. <laughs> okay. 
So, um, uh, I, I, uh, I came in that year of 1977 with a whole pile of costumes in the backseat of my car. And I had plans for doing a bunch of different characters. Um, you know, I, I had a sword, a couple of different hats, but then I tried, um, I, I had an idea that came to me while I was all right. I had one of the most awful summer jobs between, uh, my, freshman and sophomore years of college, I worked at a retread factory, a BF Goodrich tire retreading factory. Um, it really, really motivated me to go back to college. Um, uh, it was always over a hundred degrees back where we were uh, retreading Ouch. tires. Um, and, and I was put in charge of, uh, passenger molds at the time where you you take well anyways um but at one of my jobs because i was they knew i was just temporary and going to go back to college so at one point they got a truck a, a boxcar load of old tires mm -hmm. um that they were going to if they were good enough they would retread them a boxcar load of tires emptied into a field somewhere, Plymouth, maybe, Golden Valley. They drove me out and dropped me there and said, sort them out by size. And oh so goodness. I stood, was standing on top of this boxcar load of tires thinking, you know, the Renaissance Festival is coming up as I threw them around. <laughs> I don't know what I should do this year. And I came up with the idea of being a, a, a grave digger who is in, you know, poor straits and always going in the hole. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I said, I'll get a little rope and I'll put knots in it and I'll measure people. Yeah, that's it. And they came up with the whole routine while throwing these tires around. Um, <laughs> and so um, I changed into that after a couple of hours of getting bored being a noble Um the first day of 1977 changed into the gravedigger costume and started going around measuring people and got an immediate reaction from uh, Jeff Siegel, the, the entertainment director at the time. And, uh, and I would tell stories as well um, okay. in various places. And then Jeff said, Hey, why don't you and Todd Menton go do a stage show? You're friends, right? Sure. <laughs> so Todd and I would alternate singing songs and telling stories and bad jokes. And it, we ended up on Witchwood a couple times a day. And uh, that was in 1978. And then in 1979, we went and did diff separate shows. And, uh, and I was forced to fill a half an hour just with me. <laughs> And so I made up new stories. And, what was that? Uh, what was that first show about? Uh, I would do. Uh, well, we would we would sing a song called "The Gentleman Soldier," and he'd play guitar, and I play penny whistle. He, he he taught me how to play penny whistle, and we would do some duets. Um, and then I would then we'd take a break, and I'd tell a, a story, and somehow we would fill about twenty minutes. We'd pass the hat and go, "Geez." We can afford to eat this week and uh, go back to college where we were roommates. 
and uh, it was kind of, okay, you do something, I'll do something, let's do something together. Uh, uh, you do something again, I'll do something, you, something together, and we call it quits. I pass the hat and get out. So, and uh, yeah, it was a hoot. <laughs> um, so and so then what did 19- you do to make it so you could do it on your own? Uh, made up more stories. <laughs> and these were all spoonerisms? Um, yeah, all spoonerism stories. I started out with uh, the Peel Thrigs and the Old Gots and the Beef Rares. Eventually <laughs> added a Riddle at Hiding Road. And then that summer of 1979, um, one of my very good friends, uh, uh, a guy named Doug Grab, you guys, he, he um, played Merlin the Wizard. Doug eventually became the site director of the Sterling Renaissance Festival in upstate New York. But Doug, Todd Minton, Walter Napierkowski, and I were all roommates at St. Cloud State. Oh, okay. All right. So the reason that Walter and Hazen Marcoux and Minrod Meyer also ended up working at the Renaissance Festival is because Doug, Todd, and I recruited them. (laughs) They were our fellow theater majors. So um, um, how can I pull all these threads together now? Um, (laughs) So uh, I ended up doing a half an hour show. Uh, Jeff Siegel, uh, um, at that point in time, in 1970, coming up in 1979, um, there were four, four owners of the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. Ray Mathune, John Robinson, Jim Peterson, and Dave Pearson. Ray Mathune and John Robinson uh, bought from a company called, a nonprofit company called Pastimes Inc., the Colorado Renaissance Festival. Now, they had run in 1976 and 77 until their site in Morrison, Colorado, was uh, condemned by the Army Corps of Engineers because it was eventually going to be underwater. The Army Corps of Engineers was building a dam. So their site got condemned for a dam project or a dam project. <laughs> um, and Slim, the guy who owned the land at the time, really wanted to thwart the government and asked to be paid in gold bullion. But eventually they just took it over and paid him off somehow. Anyway, so they were losing their land. They didn't go up in 1978. Ray Mathune and John Robinson bought the show and were going to take it for profit. And they moved it to, um, they, they now have a permanent site in, uh, in Larkspur, Colorado. But for 1979, they did a quick parking lot style show in just a big empty field on a 45 degree angle. Oh, and Jeff Siegel, the artistic director from Colorado, said, hey, Doug, hey, Terry, you guys want to go to Colorado? We could use Doug because he looks just like their poster. <laughs> they had Merlin the Wizard as the poster child, all in gray, and that happened to match exactly what Doug looked like. So doug was the poster child jeff thought he needed a friend so they brought us out to colorado for four weekends for this sort of parking lot show on a 45 degree angle and also that year sack theater was there and the flying karamazov brothers 
and uh, uh, who else? Guy, first time I'd ever seen a hurdy gurdy. A guy named Michael Huppert came in from California and played hurdy gurdy. And John Van Orman was there and uh, had a lot of Minnesota guys, the site crew. And uh, uh, it was it was a hoot. Sounds <laughs> um, awesome. My first away game was Colorado. Four weekends, it snowed one morning before we were set to go out. First time I ever got snowed on at a Renaissance festival. Second time was 1985 in Minnesota. Um, uh, so that's how I started traveling. And then I would just go back and forth, Minnesota, Colorado, and try and pick up other gigs in Minnesota. Um, I had started a, uh, started doing community, directing plays in community theaters, and then formed a company with Brian Murphy and Betsy Smith and Todd Menton called Irons in the Fire. And we tried doing uh, Theater of the Shopping Mall when River Place was still a an entertainment venue for street acts. And we did a f- shows there. Um, and then once again, Jeff Siegel came calling and said, hey, I need an entertainment director. You game? And so I went, went out to... Uh, uh, Arizona in 1989. I'm I'm kind of curious, <clears throat> where did the idea of spoonerisms come from? Like, where did you learn how to do spoonerisms? Well, first, I think we we touched on it in fifth or sixth grade English class. (laughs) I think we talked about word games like big Latin and spoonerisms and things like that. Um, And then um, I heard Archie Campbell on Hee Haw (laughs) do a a Prinderella and the Sins. And I went, that's easy. So I made up a Three Little Pigs. And that's when I was about 12 years old. And I started entertaining my friends with that. Well, my friends were all folks who would eventually work at the Renaissance Festival. <laughs> so I had a very funny group of friends. And uh, um, uh, we're, we're still friends, but most of them no longer set foot on a Renaissance Festival site much. It's, it's, unless they have a ticket. So... Um, uh, and so I started telling stories. That became my party trick. Um, when when people say, hey, why don't you do one of those things? Okay. And so eventually, um, my freshman year at St. Cloud State, I used the Piedel Freaks to audition for a play. <laughs> Didn't get in, but I used it. <laughs> um, so who did you have any mentors when you first started? Um, well, I was influenced by folks like Gary Parker and, uh, and there was, uh, uh, Bruce and Mike Stone. They were, they were a pair of brothers who, uh, did a show called Stone and Fool and, uh, uh, also Herbie Hansen from SAC Theater. Um, do you, do you know SAC Theater? Um, they did their 40th reunion a couple years ago at Treetop Theater. They were there. Um, they, uh, Herbie probably 
could be credited with inventing Minnesota style street theater. Um, he, do we have our own and, style? We sort of do. It's the, it, it was the comedy over authenticity version. Herbie okay. was just this great mingler and greeter. Uh, let's see. Herbie got his start. Um, at, uh, he and his, and a bunch of his college pals at Bethel Bible College formed a, uh, a, uh, a missionary group called the Lambs Players. And they put up at the Renaissance Festival, a show called Hark the Ark. (laughs) And they would do it about where the crown stage is now, where the Tortugas perform. Yeah. Okay. They had an arc set and they did this whole comedy sort of, it's later on when I had kids and I saw Veggie Tales. (laughs) All right. That's the kind of humor that they had. Okay. Um, And, and when I saw Veggie Tales for the first time, I thought, my God, there's gotta be some sack folks involved in that. There just has to be. It's the same. It's Herbie Hansen's humor. Um, but Herbie, uh, the, the, the Lambs players were street people. All, there were like 20 of them, all of these Bethel Bible College students. And uh, uh, they, would, they would do things like they'd also run the stocks. And uh, uh, um, um, one, of, one of their bits was uh, Jacob's Ladder. They, they would right. run the stocks. They would run Jacob's Ladder. And they would do Hark the Ark. Okay. Um, and what really paid for them was Jacob's Ladder. It was the same later on when Sack Theater happened. Now, um, Lamb's players, eventually the bunch of them voted to all move to San Diego. So they all went to San Diego. Kirby and his wife, Brunel, moved back to Buffalo, Minnesota. I think his parents were getting older. And he wanted to be around them. And they went to managing the, uh, the Bridgmans in Buffalo for a while. And Herbie, of course, being a creative type, decided I need to do something else. And he invented uh, an audience participation style theater where um, their shows were uh, King Gorbadek duck and they'd pull people out of the audience and put a, uh, a, a sack on them and that would be their costume. And then they'd have uh, usually the kabonger, which was a uh, floppy padded sausage on a stick. <laughs> and that's what people, you know, and he hit him with the kabonger and they died over there and they rolled, <laughs> you know, um, but audience participation, funny, funny stuff to get entire audiences shouting and chanting back and forth. Um, Montague's Capulets, um, revolution, rebellion, revolution, rebellion, twins, Vikings. Um, <laughs> so, um, Can I- can I ask you, yeah. um, what do you enjoy most about performing at festivals since you make your entire living? Not Well, I assume your entire living since you're doing it all year long. Well, it's that immediate feedback. You know, yeah. there's nothing like a live audience. And, of course, I love being the center of attention. <laughs> um, and uh, it's just, it, it in some ways, it's always been the uh, it, well, it's been the path of least resistance too. Um, I tried it out, 
and people told me I was good at it. So I went, okay, well, this is easy. It just comes very <laughs> naturally to me, you know, and standing up in front of a crowd and just saying what comes to mind and getting an immediate reaction and having that exchange. Um, it's the best. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, uh, hard to describe it. It's a, the same same rush that every performer gets when they're having a good day. Right. Except I have, you know, instead of instead of doing a play where you rehearse for eight weeks and get about, you know, if you're lucky, a, a dozen or, you know, if you're well, if you're if you're running professionally, you'll get hundreds of performances. But you know, I I don't have to rehearse. And I get all my performance yayas out, you know, <laughs> thousands and thousands of performances. Um, what right. if I work forty-one weekends? Uh, uh, what's that? That's generally about eighty-two days, and there's a couple of three or three three-day weekends in there. So eighty-five days, and I do four shows a day. That's um. Uh... 320, 300 and 340 shows a, a year. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. And 340 shows a year, multiply that by 40 years. <laughs> no, don't. Just don't. Uh. It's, yeah. So do you think in Spoonerisms? I can. I do can beat out of the book that way. I can do it off the hop of my Ted Lalva if dong day lay. I've been trying to say, figure out if I should be doing Richard the Third or Richard the Rurd, you know, <laughs> who starts out as the Gluk of Doster, and after the breath of his dother becomes Ring Kitchard. Now, was he really a Cad Bing or did he get a Daw Reel because Tedry Hooter actually <laughs> pruned the wise? And of course, Ristery is hidden by the. Anyway, that was <laughs> off the top of my head just now. <laughs> what what does a day look like for you? Like uh, since well, we the have... sun comes up in the morning, <laughs> my average average day at Minnesota, or any day, yeah. or or well, they follow a pattern. Um, usually, just like Minnesota, um, you know, wake up in the morning. Uh, I get to sleep in at every other show because the only show in the country that starts at nine o'clock is Minnesota. Yep. <laughs> um, um, but most days, uh, uh, wake up at seven, make myself breakfast, throw something in the crock pot for dinner, fall out of the trailer, uh, for cast call at nine. Um, uh, here at, at Scarborough, they don't make um, uh, stage acts show up till nine thirty, and nice. cast call lasts all of about three minutes. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, get a cup of coffee, head to the front gate, slam my coffee, uh, and play <laughs> tunes for the first fifteen minutes to half an hour. And uh, and then uh, uh, somewhere between walking out of my trailer and going to cast call, I usually do a sound check, make sure my mic's working and my batteries are in and, and the I wind myself up. <laughs> and then, uh, first show is in the morning and then 
I usually try and stay out on the street as much as possible. I'll do a loop around. I've gotten into the habit now of my first show is until 11.30. Scarborough opens at 10. Uh, in previous years, my first show was at 10.30. So I have an hour and a half of going, I don't know what to do with myself. So I, I do a, a loop of the show. Um, it turns out, according to my uh, wristwatch, I walk about six miles a day. Nice. On a festival day. Um, and then do a show, walk around, have some lunch, back to the trailer, lunch, show, walk around, show. What and, do you do when uh, you walk around? Do you have specific street bits that you enjoy? Street performing? stuff. Street stuff. Just talking, meeting, greeting, um, conversing with my fellow wizards. Um, <laughs> um, getting caught up on, on you know, after you've seen an audience for a couple of decades, you get to know some of them. And uh, it's like, you know, family reunion every day. <laughs> in, in Minnesota, it's literally a family reunion because that's when my extended family comes out. <laughs> and it's really fun to get back in Minnesota and stand on stage and go, oh, I'm related to you. Went to high school with you, uh, college with you guys, and dated. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but that's uh, uh, um, what's I, I have I've kind of let the gravedigger character go because I hated carrying the shovel around, and I had a permanent bruise on the back of my calf from it banging on me. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, I really discovered that, that, um, when I was billed as Zilf the Gravedigger, people couldn't find that guy who told funny stories. Oh yeah. Sure. And it really hit home somewhere in the mid nineties when, when, uh, somebody said, Hey, I've been looking for you all day. I can't, I haven't found you. I said, I'm right here in the program. See, Zilf's the Gravedigger. What does grave having grave digging have to do with what you do? <laughs> oh. So in that, um, in that period of 94, 95 and 96, um, uh, my responsibilities as an entertainment director in Carolina and Arizona, uh, kind of piled up as the show got bigger. So I had to do things like carry a radio. I was still doing shows. I had to carry a radio and that went into a bag and was mostly muted. <laughs> um, and just the shovel became extraneous. So I changed my billing as Tori Steller. Simple change. Just yeah. let the gravedigger go by some somebody younger who wants to carry garden tools around with them can pick it up and put a new twist on it. Um, um, and I also wanted to carry around cassettes cause I made <laughs> a cassette. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I found a box. I still have a box of cassettes. If anyone out there wants one, <laughs> I kind of um, do. I do too. <laughs> I don't you think know, we have a, we have have a, a wall find a cassette table, player. 
Yeah, if you have a wobbly table, it, it steadies them. There are people, I mean, Lolly and I actually own, kind of our spare car is now old enough to drink. Um, it's it's a 2000 Neon. It's yeah. got a cassette player. Well, so nice. We just sold our 2003 Yukon, and that had a cassette oh, player. Oh, wow. Ooh, wow. Yep. Miss it already. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so all, we we, have, we keep finding all these cassettes that we collected at one point. It's like, well, that wave of the future didn't last long, did it? <laughs> so when you when you changed over to the Tory Stellar, was there a costume change as well? Ah, uh, no, it just not really. It just let me go a little highbrow more. <laughs> you know, upper, have some upward mobility if I wanted to. Okay. Um, but it's, it's still vaguely the same shape. The material has just gotten better. And so it's my show. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, and ch- different hats. Sure. Still trying to find the right big floppy hat. But say, I think I've only ever seen you in floppy hats. Yeah. I've had a number of floppy hats as years go by. So always something outrageous, big floppy. What would um, you say was your favorite thing about the festival when you first started versus performing now? Oh, wow. That total immersion in the world. Um, it, it, you walk in and everyone around you is in character and uh, um you 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 really hone your skills and your reaction time just being able to to talk to talk to and entertain as you walk along um that the the there's a lot now that kind of pulls you back out of the out of that thematic immersion but Back um, when I first started as a 17-year-old kid, you know, getting lost in the fantasy of it all was absolutely fabulous. And, you know, um, I think I, I the statute of limitations has run out on uh, a few things. So I could say that, you know, all of my big firsts happened at a Renaissance festival. First, first, uh, first time I ever got just a wee bit tipsy was that first Labor Day weekend that because it opened on Labor Day weekend in 1975. And one of the craftspeople <laughs> that I'd made friends with gave me a glass of rosé with dry ice dropped in it. Ooh. And this was after cool. hours. And it was, you know, it was an Adam's family drink. And he said, you know, make sure you blow out through your nose while you take a sip so you don't pass out. <laughs> so... Um, that was that was important advice to learn as a 17-year-old kid when drinking wine with dry ice, and, and it was with this ga- mug full of 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 rosé with with um, dry ice bubbling in it that I stumbled into Bad Manor uh, to see my first Renaissance Festival after hours j- hours jam session, and it was, I think. I know for sure it was Eddie Jeff Cahill. It was the first King that 
I knew, which was Michael Brandt uh, of Brandt Berryman Advertising, who is very, very funny and had just a lot of quips constantly. Um, and also was uh, in a very large man, big personality, big guy, and a country Western fan. And he was always trying to get, uh, it was Jeff Cahill and John Van Orman, and I think Wayne Rasky, and uh, uh, maybe some Morris dancers, because they started in the same year I did. And they were having a music session in Bad Manor, and they were singing the London Homesick Blues and the Battle of New Orleans. Because the guy who played King was bound and determined these guys are going to sing him some country western music. <laughs> and uh, then 34 years later at, at Scarborough Fair. Now, Scarborough has a, a, a backstage place called The Junk. And it's, it's um, from my trailer, it is that way. It's right across the parking lot from... from uh, from RV row here. It's made of an old, I think it's an old chicken coop or something um, that has been put together. Now the first bad manner was put together with like a lot of um, uh, 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 surplus doors and old license plates and chewing gum and bailing wire. And it was, it was a tree fort without a tree. Okay. <laughs> the junk is put together with old bailing wire, chewing gum, Lots of license plates hanging up in it, and it's it too is a tree fort without the tree, okay. and it's it's the social hub of Scarborough Fair, huh. and so one Sunday night, again I'm walking around with a, a glass of wine, and I walk into this time I've got my mandolin over my back, I'm in you know street clothes, but it's after hours. Uh, nine or 10 o'clock at night and I, and there's music playing and I'm about to go be part of it this time. And I walk in and, and it's Jeff Cahill singing the London homesick blues along with Peffa. If you know, if you know Peffa from Minnesota and it's, at, and it 34 years have gone by. I don't know how many thousands of miles at this point, but it's like my life hadn't changed. <laughs> I'd just gotten grayer. It's still, it's still happening. Still that, that, um, what has become lost over the year, over the years in, uh, in Minnesota is a, a, a sense of, of that sort of after hours community. Yeah. Um, you don't roam the site at will as much anymore. Mm -hmm. Just no. taking in the sites at night. Um, and some of that's for, for good reasons. And, um, you know, kids should be home and in bed and doing their homework. Um, but there's, uh, um, uh, a lot of creativity happened by just hanging out with other entertainers. We would sit around the uh, a table in bad manner and plot um plot uh, uh, scenarios to do at uh, at the king's agenda and the king's uh feast the next day sure um, i like that you use the word plot <clears throat> yeah we would plot plots <laughs> um, i like that 
we would put together little scenarios and 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 court cases for the king to judge and uh it was uh uh you know hey kids we've got we're we're here we're here in a redecorated cow pasture let's do a show and uh <laughs> um uh <laughs> That's how stuff got created. Was sitting around after hours, going, "I've got an idea for something. What do you think?" And we'd all yeah. work together and plot it out. I love that natural There's, creativity and hanging out yeah. with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a and plus, story. there were there were there were venues. Uh, the the royal court had, um, what was it? Three events. There was the feast at noon. There was a post parade show, but that there was uh, um, 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 yeah, the Privy Council, and then the uh, the agenda at the end of the day. And the Privy Council and the agenda were when people would bring court cases to be settled by the king. So there was uh, uh, the woman with two fiancés. There was uh, um, um. Um, one we uh, uh, there was when uh, Lee Walker uh, would stand up and do the wine steward, which um, w- was a lot of fun. Ended up with him getting. It's because they found a case full of uh, of breakaway bottles. And they said, "What can oh. we do with these breakaway bottles?" I have an idea. Says George <laughs> and. Uh, and so, but but they they needed to fill these half hour time slots, and so for the the um, for the for the uh, royal feast, it was an opportunity to go do about five minutes of stuff for the royalty, and that's how I got a boost. Todd Minton got a boost. Uh, Smee and Blog, the singing executioners, made their debut there. Um, the, have you ever heard of those guys? I have not the singing the singing executioners. Mm, okay, no. nope, nope. All right. Well, um, but a, a lot of a lot of folks would would cut their teeth by doing five minutes for George, for the royalty at sure. the feast before they tried it out, um, either out on the streets or on stage. Um, the uh, the closing gate show when there still was one was another venue for trying something out. That was kind of the last vestige of the old way of doing things where here, plot something, throw it out, see if it works. Right. And that's, that was what closing gate shows for. So I missed that too. Speaking um, of closing a show. <laughs> is it time? I, Have we run it's out of time? time. Yep. How much of, how much of what you wanted to get accomplished yeah, I think um, we did a great job. We got to find out a little bit about you and your character progression and uh, just some really great stories. For lack honestly. of thereof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's some of the best. <laughs> you know, you got you got some, got a winner from the start. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. It's, you know, I've followed the path of least resistance pretty much. It's, um, it's taken me, you know, across the ocean. I've performed at the Robin Hood Festival in Nottinghamshire, England, because of Renaissance festivals. That's awesome. Uh, I've met a number of governors of Minnesota uh, <laughs> because of Renaissance festivals. Um, 
um, it's 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 been a it's been a wild ride. I bet. And hopefully, I've got another forty years in me. There you go. I could do this till I'm a hundred. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, one of the ways that we like to wrap up the show is asking ah, our guests okay. to share a word of wisdom that you know that they could impart to our listeners, whether they're performers <laughs> or just you know patrons. Oh my! Um, word of wisdom. Yeah. Um, if that don't ah ah don't be afraid to fail. And it. don't be afraid to fail big. <laughs> and once you do fail, walk away from it, look back at it and go, what can I change? But fail, you, you know, if you don't fail, you don't learn. Right. So go out and, and FUD and Mike and Wayne used to say, all right, let's get out there and do something. <laughs> so... Doing something is better than not. If you want to become a Patreon subscriber, pop on over to the Patreon and look for Fondazi Fire. If you have any questions or show ideas for us, anything that you want to know, then email us at fondazi at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to Fondazi Fire Presents What Do You Want on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>